So we don't talk about other men's jobs on this podcast. But Duff, two people already lost their job. One of them happens to be in New York, and there might be more losing their job on the way. Jeff Hornacek, no longer the coach of the New York Knicks. How you feeling? I'm feeling good about it. I'm feeling very good. Knicks fans should be happy. You think so? Oh, yeah. Just a new voice? Like, what's going? Uh, what happened? We just need a new voice? I told you about a month ago, he didn't play Frankie, Frankie Smokes for a whole quarter for absolutely no reason, and I said that was a fireable offense right when it happened. And so we don't talk about another man's job, though. Scott Perry must have been listening to this podcast and said, ah, fireable offense. Frank Neal Keenan needs to play in every quarter. At least once. So, Jeff Hornacek, you're out. He's a smart man. I've often said that. Well, the coaching search will commence, but what else will commence is the NBA playoffs. We're going to give some thoughts on Knicks coaches and the candidates, but we got a playoff preview. Sportsblog New York podcast, Pete Kennedy, John Lucas Duffy. Stay tuned. Sports Block New York Podcast. I'm Peter Kennedy, joined with my man, John Lucas Duffy. We got to be here to preview the NBA playoffs. It's what we've all been waiting for. You know, baseball season's going on, and uh, full full transparency here. Duff, Frank, Villani, and I stayed up super late on Thursday, uh, Wednesday evening, post-Minnesota Timberwolves-Denver Nuggets game. We recorded this, like, hour and 15-minute podcast And we talked about the Mets and the Yankees a little bit. We talked about the NBA playoffs and the Nuggets-Timberwolves game. And we realized that we really messed up. We didn't wait for the seeding to get settled. And we talked about matchups that will not happen. So we had to scrap the entire episode. So we apologize, but don't you worry, because Duff and I are back here on Thursday to give you the NBA playoff preview you deserve. But Duff, though we messed up, something did work out in our favor because... After we finished recording at about 1.30 a.m., I was going to, you know, get ready to go to sleep like a normal human being, have work the next day, all that. I got the update on my phone that Mr. Jeff Warnersek was fired. He was let go, quote, relieved of his coaching duties of the New York Knicks. So, in a way, it worked out for us. We get to react to this as the Sports Blog New York podcast, NBA Outsiders Edition. We got to be talking about our team, New York Knicks. Uh, and our no longer head coach, Jeff Hornacek. You mentioned in the open you think this is the right move. They might need a new voice. Uh, of these early candidate stuff, do any of them tickle your fancy, whether it be Mark Jackson, Van Gundy, uh, Jay Wright, um, Jerry Stackhouse, David Blatt, David Fisdale? Those are, those are the early rumored ones. W- what are you thinking about these guys? So... I've done a little a little bit of research today trying to think about that stuff. I, you know, we don't talk about another man's job, but we do talk about guys who uh, who don't actually have those jobs because we know they're going to get fired. So it's, it's really not their jobs. That's what we talk about. Um, right, that makes sense. was one of those guys. But I think this this might be a take. I'm not sure, but David Blatt. I think David Blatt should oh, be the no. guy that the Knicks should give some serious consideration to. He was run out of town because in Cleveland because LeBron didn't like him and he was trying to implement a motion-style offense with a lot of 
movement, pace and space, pretty much what every team in the league is doing now. But LeBron just wanted the ball in his hands more, wanted more autonomy over the team because he knows, he knows rightfully so, everything's going to fall on his shoulders. So he he wants to have his hand in everything, which I can understand that from a selfish perspective. Uh, but that doesn't mean David Blatt wasn't doing the right thing for the team. So I think a guy with that style, that the, the game is so offensive now where he, I'm hesitant as much as we love Fizz because he's a ride or die coach and players seem to like him except Marcus Hall. Um, <laughs> yeah, except Marcus Hall. Yeah, is that Marcus? <laughs> uh, but defensive coaches are a, a little a little weird right now. You got you got Tibbs, who I hate, noted Tibbs hater, and the other guy who got fired, Vogel. He was basically a younger version of Tibbs. He got a lot of Tibbs comparisons when he was in Indiana, and then when he went to Orlando, people just kind of forgot about him. Uh, so I think those coaches are not not what you want right now for a team like the Knicks that's trying to build a culture and revolutionize this this franchise and try to get them caught up to speed to where the Rockets and the Warriors are. Not in terms of like how good they are, but the way they play the game, the way they think about things, the way they approach their style of play. And that's why I think David Blatt would be a good match. You know, it's interesting because when I hear the name David Blatt, I like throw up in my mouth a little bit and go, oh my God, there's no way the Knicks should ever hire him like that. Doesn't seem like the right option, but I'm assuming you did not listen to the Adrian Wojnarowski interview on the Michael K show today. He basically gave you the he gave the same response that you just did, and now you and you and I are doing this kind of on the fly, uh, even though we had a practice run last night. Um, he he gave the same idea because the interviewer, I think it was Rosenberg, said David Blatt doesn't feel like a, like a sexy name that will you know, make fans happy or, or this and that. And Woj goes, yeah, well, it doesn't matter if he can help the team win games. And he seemed, he is easily equal a coach or better to any of these other candidates that are currently out there or being named, especially like the realistic ones. Like maybe if you're a real Jay Wright believer, there's just such a slim chance he leaves Villanova. So like, I don't even count him at the moment. Uh, but before we move on to some of these other candidates that I want to mention, I just want to say about Jeff Hornacek, I don't know if he got a fully fair opportunity you know he got the the end of the Phil Jackson era and the beginning of this new era under Scott Perry and Steve Mills and he kind of saw what is probably going to be the worst of both right so the end of the Phil Jackson era was obviously the worst when he was trying to run Melo out of town you know putting KP on the block putting Porzingis on the block trying to make Hornacek run the triangle It, it, it wasn't a good start for him as a Knicks coach right and then furthermore he had the start of a new regime which is always tough he wasn't their guy. So even if he did an average job, there's a good chance he got let go. Clearly, that's what happened. And then the injuries didn't help me either. So I just want to say shout-out Jeff Hornacek because I don't think he did a bad job. I don't think he's a guy who was like, he needed to get fired. It was over. He sucked. Like I would never say that about him. I always wanted to like him. He just never gave me the reason to really latch on and really love him. And it's part because of the situation around him. So, unfortunate, that's the business. But we don't talk about another man's job, especially one that's no longer his. <laughs> so, it's, sorry, Jeff, but appreciate your time. Best of luck to you. Now to the rest of these other candidates. Um, the Van Gundy and Mark Jackson duo. Not that they're going to coach together, but those two obviously get brought up together a lot. Um, I have one main reason why I'm leaning against that, and it's pretty unscientific. So, Duff, you tell me if I'm being kind of like 
unrealistic here or coming at, at you with no reason. Uh, but this is my unscientific take of why I don't think Mark Jackson or Jeff Van Gundy should be the coach in New York Knicks. Fans tend to fantasize the past greatly. And when you think about Jeff Van Gundy and Mark Jackson, the two reasons people think they're uh, so great for the Knicks is because they're New York Knicks guys, right? Gundy, Van Gundy coached the Knicks. Mark Jackson played for the Knicks. He's a New York-bred guy. He went to St. John's. Like, that's all great, and that's a great story. And, you know, Frank Isola of the news or the post or whatever, he's going to write a nice little story about, oh, finally made a good choice and brought somebody back home. Like, that doesn't win games, and there's a reason the Warriors got rid of Mark Jackson, even though he did technically lead them to where they are today in ways. They also have a ton of talent. You know what I mean? So, like, if you just hire Mark Jackson expecting the Warriors, you're out of your mind. And Jeff Van Gundy, I love him. He's one of the best low-post guests uh, <laughs> of all that entire podcast. He's a fantastic color commentator. I think Van Gundy has some coaching left in him. But he also hasn't coached in 10 years. So, like, I don't have a ton of faith in that, right? And now you're going to come at me and really think I'm crazy because the guy who I actually like as a candidate – doesn't have any coaching experience at all. So it's the opposite end of the spectrum. But I think Jerry Stackhouse is a guy who's chopping at the bit. He's been looking to get a coaching opportunity for years. He took a head coaching job for the G League of the Toronto Raptors, uh, the team that has like the best bench in the league, filled with guys who were in the D League in the past. I don't know if that's a coincidence or what, but Jerry Stackhouse, a basketball lifer, intense guy, been chomping at the bit for a coaching opportunity. He's a name people know, and I think he fits the in-between mold of, like, not too much nostalgia, not too much expectation, but you can also latch on to him because he's somebody you know. Duff, where am I off or where am I on on these takes on the Jackson Van Gundy side and then the Jerry Stackhouse side? Stackhouse is just such a risk to me. Like, he was part of that good G League team that's, you know, Toronto's G League team, and they have a deep bench. Like, everything you're saying is correct. But that's just kind of, you know, how much of that is him? How much of that is the infrastructure that was put in place around him before he even got there? And then you kind of just plug and play and he just, you know, right situation. We, you know, you talk about the difference between a coach maximizing, maximizing his players versus players maximizing their coach. And this could be a situation of that where, but we don't know. That's all I'm saying. And I think that would be a dangerous job to get for him because, he could go to New York. I guess he knows what it's like, all the pressure and all the press and, you know, what that is because he has experience there. But you, he's just such an unknown to me for for such a big job with eyes all around the world. They're going to be on him 24-7. You know, maybe he'll be great, but maybe he won't. And I guess that's my whole point is, like, we really just don't know. He does not have a a big background in any coaching at situations at all. Like you know, guys like Dwayne Casey, he, he really wanted to coach. So what did he do? He went to Japan for like five years and that's where he coached. Yeah. Brett Brown was desperate for a job. You know, when he was a young man, he went out to Australia and he coached, he coached Ben Simmons dad in the Australian league. Which so is so crazy by the way, that's a fun tidbit of that story. I love it. Yeah, it, it is. It is a really weird thing, but, but that's kind of the point I'm getting at is people who really want to coach are desperate to get into it. And it doesn't matter where they need to go to make it happen. And I'm not saying Stackhouse doesn't have the ethic or whatever for it, but well, I do... think I think he did that. Yeah. Like he took a G League job. He probably could have took uh, an assistant coach job uh where he sat on the bench and helped with development and ran some drills and maybe every once in a while in a blowout 
the head coach will let him draw a play up or something like that. But no, he went to the G League. Like that's that's got to be humbling, you know. He became the head coach of a team that literally nobody gives two craps about because in America people hardly care about the actual Raptors. Uh, I doubt anybody's caring about their G League affiliate. So in a way, he kind of is fitting that mold that you're talking about. Is that he took the job that he can get to go coach and to go be the guy, the leader of a team. Yeah, it's a good point. Like he wanted to be a head coach, so he took a head coaching job wherever he could find it, as opposed to you know, an assistant in waiting or something like that. He That's could, a good point. He could have been but, like Patrick Ewing or Sam Cassell and just sat on a bench and like every once in a while the broadcast is like, oh, Jerry Stackhouse, assistant coach. What does he do? Probably nothing. Like that's, like, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, And, and back to the uh, Van Gundy and uh, Mark Jackson thing, I would not hire either of those guys because like I've been hammering home this point last night on the podcast and you know the nba outsiders lost tapes <laughs> the podcast doesn't <laughs> exist anymore yeah um <laughs> where it's just the nba is all about culture now and we're going through this renaissance of this particular style of play of pace and space and those guys have no experience coaching in that type of setting like this is before the Warriors were pacing space when Mark Jackson was there. He taught them how to play defense, part of the and that was really fired, valuable to them. Part of the reason he got let go uh, is because of his lack of foresight about offense. Pretty much. Is that what he was butting heads about with the with general management and oh, I'm not, executives? I'm not sure if that's what he was butting heads, but apparently he wasn't specifically easy to work with from a front office standpoint. And then mm-hmm. also a critique of his was that he didn't uh, in, input a advanced offensive system. I believe it. Like he doesn't, he just doesn't seem like that type of guy. And Van Gundy's just been out of the game for so long. Like that, that's like pulling Gruden out of the box and giving him the Raiders job. That's, that's the equivalent. Like, do you want to really roll those dice for someone who's been out of, out of the game for so long? Like, I know he's been watching courtside every day, but it's completely different. It's completely different when you have to know all this analytic stuff that Van Gundy is not high on. He's, like he's one of those old heads who's like thinking about things the old way. It's you can't do that. You want to go towards a younger guy or or someone with a more progressive mindset, at least. Like Brett Brown, obviously not very young, but he has a progressive mindset. And that's why I think David Blatt is gonna be good. The European game is more similar to the NBA now than it's ever been because of the way that they play with their spacing and ball movement and things of that nature. And Blatt is accustomed to that. He tried to bring that to Cleveland. They pushed him out, and I think it's honestly it's similar to what happened to Jeff Hoiberg in in, in Chicago, where right. the players didn't like playing for him. But give credit to management, where they saw the writing on the wall that he, this system, like learning this system, and and playing the modern game is more important than what these players are going to give us right now. But for David Blatt, that obviously wasn't an option. You cannot choose a coach over LeBron James. Any coach doesn't of, matter. Of course, of course, that's a good point. And you know what? It really comes. It also comes to show that you aren't a Knicks fan. Like, and I think that's good. I think it's really important to have uh, fans listen to people who aren't fans of the team because oftentimes you're not biased and you don't have like this nostalgia you're holding on to. And obviously, with Mark Jackson and Jeff and Gundy, there's a ton of nostalgia there. Um, I would personally pick Van Gundy over Jackson if I had to choose one of the two. But you did do a decent job of selling me on the idea of David Blatt right there. So shout out to you, Duff. Uh, but we have time. We have time to talk more about the Knicks coaching search. So we need to keep this thing moving. 
Uh, again, Pete Kennedy and John Lucas Duffy here, Sports Blog New York Podcast, NBA Outsiders Edition. It's NBA playoff season, man. Baseball started. The Yankees and the Red Sox are playing as we speak, and it's cool and it's exciting. And I know you guys love the Yankees. I know you do. But we have a whole lot of time to talk about the Yankees and uh, the best team in the league, the Mets. What? What? Wait, what was that? Yeah, Wait, what? The best team in the league, Duff. The Mets. Pretty cool. Um, ten and one. The Mets can't be stopped. We have time to talk about that stuff. We'll be back next week about it. But we got a preview. We got to make some predictions, and it's NBA playoffs season. So, Duff, let's start it off with the Eastern Conference. All right, let's just go right down the list. Let's just do it right down. Uh, we'll get when we get to the Sixers. I mean, when we get to the Cavs Pacers, we'll talk about you know the whole Cavs and Sixers fighting for seeding, or maybe not fighting for seeding. We'll get to that in a minute. Mm-hmm. So first off, Toronto Raptors versus the Washington Wizards. John Wall's back. The the Raptors, uh, you know, had a fantastic season. Slight stumble here and there at the end a little bit, especially against the big bad Cavs and LeBron James. But do you have any doubt that the Raptors will advance in the first round? Uh, I have, I have, I have complete confidence in the Raptors. I know the Wizards are a talented team. But the pieces just don't fit for me. They they really don't. And the way they play is like John Wall is definitely a really, really talented player. And years ago, and he's like, hey, I'm not getting the credit I deserve. I was on that bandwagon. I was saying he's better than people are giving him credit for. He was like the East Coast version of Damian Lillard. And I was with him. But now he got paid. Seems like he just doesn't give a fuck anymore. And he doesn't really play differently. Like I feel like he's not any better than he was three years ago, which you know, like that's disappointing. And you've seen the, the leaps and bounds that Beal has made since he's been healthy and been on the court. I just don't believe in the way John Wall plays. He He's so stagnant on offense. For someone with such great vision, he kind of just stops the ball. And when he was out, they were peppering around. Everyone was getting a touch. Everybody eats. Great team. Team, capital letters, win. And he came, I think he resented that. And Gobert just like outwardly does not like him. Gortat. Uh, uh, Gortat, sorry. Just just overtly does not like him. It's very apparent. And I, I don't like proven track record of Scott Brooks just not being able to handle stars on his team and figuring out how to make the pieces work. So the Raptors have taken that step forward this year where they're starting to play that modern game, that pace and space. I'm, I'm going to beat that dead horse until like forever because it's just – so important to play that way and and they've shown that they're going to do it now are they going to regress when they get to the playoffs are they going to turn into the typical raptors where they kind of just get scared they hear footsteps and they don't know what's going to happen the wizards are talented enough to to make them pay if they do if they regress that led that way but i have faith in the raptors i have faith in dwayne casey i have faith in their bench and i i think if they stick to it they're just they're gonna be just fine. If they just keep doing what they're doing, they're gonna be just fine. That sounds like they're gonna lose game one, but then they're gonna sweep the rest. <laughs> I was just gonna say it sounds like Raptors in five from, from you. Raptors in five. All right. I also have very little uh worry of the Raptors in this first round. I just have a, a feeling there's gonna be tight games. Like I think more games than not are gonna be tight. Like I think the Wizards aren't gonna get blown out. They're not gonna look like they don't belong. John Wall and Bradley Beal are too good for the Wizards to show up and be embarrassed. That's not going to happen. But that being said, the Raptors play too well together and are too deep for the Wizards to handle them. Uh, the mixture of Valanciunas and Pertle, Ibaka and Siakam, 
you know, Kyle Lowry and DeRozan, you hardly even have to talk about them in the first round like this. It's where you got to worry about them in the second round when they play the Cavs. Um, and then Fred Van Fleet, like, he's been so good. CJ Miles, OG Ananobi, they, they have so many ways to attack and so many. They have, they have very, actually, not so many. They have so few weaknesses. And in the first round against the Wizards, with team with weaknesses and some old guys who aren't as good as they used to be, uh, I'm just not worried. I'm not worried, so let's keep this thing moving. Raptors, I'm saying Raptors in six. I think the Wizards steal two for game game one and the game at home. <laughs> the Raptors, man. They game just, one is a lock. Hammer that. <laughs> Wizards money line. Hammer that. Uh, that. Watch now. The Raptors will win every game one in the series they play this year. But who knows? We'll see. All right, moving on. The Cleveland Cavaliers are the four seed. They're not the three seed. The Philadelphia 76ers wrangled that three seed right Decidedly out not problems, the right? three seed. Uh, did it feel like the Cavs didn't want the three seed? Uh, maybe. I think I think maybe LeBron just kind of saw that it was happening and the Sixers cared a lot. And he was like, well, fuck it. The way it's going to shape out, I would rather play the Pacers than the Heat. And I would completely understand that line of thinking. Well, and maybe I, wait, we're just giving the, the benefit of the doubt I, here. I but. also think I also think he would rather play the Raptors in round two than later on. The, I don't think he cares when he plays the Raptors, yeah, honestly. Yeah, <laughs> I don't think it matters to him point. at all. Yeah, no, but think about this. He's like, oh, we're playing all seven games in one day? All right, that's fine. <laughs> whatever, whatever you say, Adam. <laughs> He's just not scared of the Raptors at all. Uh, also, wait, quick aside. Shout out to Frank because Frank loves Russell Westbrook and me and you always fight him about Russell Westbrook. I mean, maybe a little bit more you than me in general, but I'm definitely on your side of the coin here. Uh, LeBron James, man, also a freaking stat patter. Also a guy who cares this year specifically about his stats and about how he's doing and about his highlights. And he doesn't really get that much crap for it. I mean, obviously LeBron has his haters. But, like, game 82, I mean, he's making such a big deal. Oh, I'm playing every game this year. Everyone who wants to vote LeBron James for MVP, oh, he played 82 games this year. Like, ooh. It's like like he's not supposed to get paid to play 82 games of basketball in a season. But whatever. He played last night against the New York Knicks. Basically just didn't care. He got 10 points and then left the game and didn't come back in because he wanted to keep that 10-point streak alive because mm-hmm. it's the longest in the NBA history, which is awesome and, like, good for you. But we got to be fair here. We make fun of Russell Westbrook for for hogging up rebounds. Uh, LeBron James, he didn't care about that game. He wanted the four seed, not the three seed. Let the Knicks beat them and let the Knicks ruin their lotter- their lottery odds. Uh, more proof of LeBron just not going to the Knicks because if if he was, he would have beat them. So they got better lottery odds. Whatever. Um, <laughs> <laughs> am, I, am I looking too deep into this? Maybe. But either way, LeBron deserves some heat for that because he does the same shit. Mad players do that. It's not just Russ. Sorry, Russ. Sorry, Frank. All right. Do the Pacers look like a five seed? Like, do they show up to play the Cavs, show up to play LeBron? Do they compete? Do they keep games close? Because I don't think I know one person who's picking the Pacers to win the first round. That would just be insane, and I know you're not going to do that. So do the Pacers make this interesting game to game? Do they sneak a couple out? What does this series look like for you? Uh, I think they make it interesting in game three, and then they roll over and die in game four for the sweep. That's what I think. I think game three will be interesting. Look, everyone's hammering the Cavs because they have no experience in playoff situations, except for LeBron James and Jared Smith and Kevin Love. So and, the and rest Kyle, of their team is Kyle just a bunch Gorber of question marks, and, and, and I fully understand that. And, but wait, the Pacers have, are the wait, same on. thing. They have more guys. They have Tristan Thompson. They have Kyle Korver. Jose Calderon. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm I'm talking about like the the just like 
starter. Like Kyle Korver is just a shooter. Like he's just gonna be shooting everywhere, like all the time. People don't really like count them. Like everyone's saying, six the Sixers are so like uh, inexperienced. But JJ Redick went to an NBA Finals. Like facts. people forget that. That's facts. Wow. Shout out. So, Dwight, shout out Dwight Howard. <laughs> shout out Dwight Howard. Um, that's the first and last one he's probably gonna get. Uh, but. I, I I don't know. I just think it's funny how people are so anti talking about the Pacers to the point that they have Dej- they they just like have a complete memory loss about the fact that none of them have been to the playoffs either. Like Lance Stevenson is their most decorated veteran who has gotten his ass beat by LeBron James in Eastern Conference Finals like three years in a row. So you know what is that really worth? I don't know. So I got I, I got a calf sweep. You got a Cavs sweep. All right. I think uh, Cavs sweep. I think like d- wait, hold on. Before I say what I think, does the switch exist? Do they flip the hypothetical switch and like all of a sudden play decent or good defense? Um, I think the switch exists for LeBron. But so like, and probably JR. So you're saying LeBron will now start trying on defense cuz he hasn't done much of that this year. Right. He hasn't done much on defense, but if you look at the numbers, he's still an average defender. He has this certain gravity about him on defense where somehow he's still the right, he's always in the right position to make the right play, even if he's not trying that hard going one on one against guys or, or making the proper switches. Like he can still read the play. And one of his greatest plays, arguably his greatest play of all time, was, a, was on the defensive end, was the chase down block in game seven against the Warriors in the finals that he won in 2016. So, like when when everyone's talking about these concerns with LeBron James on the defensive defensive end, and everyone's talking about wow, look at this longevity. He's playing eighty two games in his fifteenth season, and but like I agree, he's being like a kind of a drama queen about that. But there's something to it still. And if, why why do we not think the switch exists for him that he's not going to just bring that back? And if he's, he's playing, clearly the same athlete, true. And if he's playing all eighty two, you know he's going to obviously favor offense over defense. He's going to take his yeah. He on, can't on do defense. everything all the damn time. The now, game is hard. You're right. You're right. You're right. All right. Question about the Pacers, uh, and then I'll make my quick prediction. We got to keep this thing moving. Does Victor Oladipo have any moments in this in this for uh, absolutely? Yeah. Any any moments? Absolutely, like, he has moments. It's like, damn, this guy's this guy's real. A hundred percent, he will have those moments. But a lot of young players have those moments in the playoffs and still lose the series. Of course, so probably lose every game. But like in a game, he might hit a shot to like make it close or like put him up, and then LeBron dunks on him. But like those moments are going to happen. You think? What about what? Yeah, about- there might be a fourth quarter where they're going, you know, back to back, guarding each other. Well, probably not each other because Oladipo's too small. But where where LeBron's got to guard Oladipo and he's getting a few buckets. So. I could definitely see moments because he definitely is an all NBA player. He's been one of the best 15 guys in the league this year. What about so, Miles Turner? What about Miles Turner? Any moments from Miles Turner? I, I think it's most important if he has moments and the Pacers want those moments to be on the defensive end. That's where you want his moments to be. You don't want him to be, you know, shooting threes. Like he's capable of it in the regular season. I'm fine with it. But in the playoffs, where every possession is that much more important and you don't want to squander any of them, you want him to be an elite, elite rim defender. That's the number one thing you want from him in this series. All right. Well, I think the Pacers are going to take this game, this uh, series six. They take it to six? Taking it to six. Uh, I think they'll get blown out once or twice, but they will sneak one or two out. Uh, and it'll be it'll be a fun, a more fun series 
than we would have expected, but it will never really be in doubt for the Cavs, if that makes sense. So I think they're taking a six. All right, keep it moving, keep it moving. Philadelphia 76ers versus the Miami Heat. Shout-out Sixers, three seeds, shout-out Bab. Um, what's your what's your take on how this series is going to look? Because it's two teams that have good defenses and teams with not a ton of playoff experience from their best players specifically. Yeah, uh, I am... I'm a little nervous about this as the resident Sixers fan, RIP Bab. Uh, I'm, I'm worried about this series from the Sixers point of view because the Heat are tough to game plan for. Spolstra is an NBA two time NBA championship winning coach. Four times he's been in the finals. Brett Brown is also a playoff rookie as a head coach, not as an assistant coach, obviously. Um, but as a head coach, he's also a rookie. And it's tough to apply for it. It's tough to game plan against a guy like Spolstra who has the Pat Riley blessing, who, you know, one of the greatest coaches of all time hand picked Spolstra for this job. And that's not something to be taken lightly. We forget about him because he's in Miami and LeBron's not there anymore. And he's kind of just doing this with all these no name guys, which makes it tougher to game plan for because any, any one of them can beat you on any given night they're not selfish about who gets how many shots. Like if you're playing the thunder and you're playing Russ tough and he's not shooting the ball. Well, he's not going to shoot it less. He's just going to keep doing that. And it's at, at a certain point, it's in the other team's favor. The heat are not going to do that. It's whoever has the hot hand. That's who gets the ball. And they're very unselfish about it. So it, it's really hard to zero in on one guy. Everybody on the Sixers has to be on the same page doing their job. Having said that, in the playoffs, you generally just go with the team that has more talent, and the Sixers are certainly that team. Joel Embiid was said is doubtful for game one, and then they're kind of just going to take it game by game. I'm actually going to be at game one of this series. Shout out you. So, what is that? Shout out you. Shout out me. Real Sixers <laughs> fan. Where you at, Beth? I'm going to be at game one of this series, so I hope it's just a Jedi mind trick and, and, you didn't even and he need, plays. That would be sick. But you didn't even need Bab's season tickets for your own freaking playoff experience because he's not even here anymore. He's not a real outsider. He's 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 so far outside, he is the most outsider. You take that back. <laughs> Facts. I'm sorry. I didn't, I didn't think about that one fully. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I, I think this is going to be a tough series. Like I think it's going to be a tougher series than whoever they face in the second round this, for the Sixers. I'm going seven games. I'm going Sixers and seven. Wow, seven games. I like it. I think it's going to be a really fun one. I think the Heat are a type of team that can give the Sixers problems because they're so just like solid throughout. There's not a lot of places the Sixers can exploit exploit them on the defensive end, you know? So like Hassan Whiteside, if he's around the rim and, and, and really playing rim protector, um, it's going to make it a little tougher for Ben Simmons to hit those like hook shots, those righty hook shots that he takes all the time. Uh, but what I think is going to be the difference in this series is how the Sixers shooters shoot. Because, yes, playoff Kelly Olynyk's a real thing. <laughs> shout, out, <laughs> shout out Kelly Olynyk. That's might, fact. He might Don't dro- you laugh. Put, res- <laughs> put some respect on his name. He might drop like 35 in one game. Uh, the Sixers have a clear advantage shooting the basketball. And if J.J. Redick, Marco Bellinelli, Robert Covington, Ilyasova, and Saric that's five guys who can shoot at a very solid clip. Like if those guys are, are doing what they do and they're cutting off ball and they're running around screens and Ben Simmons is just slinging passes left and right, like that's the the X factor for me. It's how are these guys going to shoot the ball? Because the Heat don't have a ton of knockdown shooters. They have a bunch of guys who can shoot, but they don't have knockdown shooters. Um, so if the Sixers are, are, are missing, it's going to be tough because 
the Heat play a very t- solid team defense. But I'm going with the Sixers as well. I think it's going to be six games, but it's going to be very hard fought. It's going to be very fun. And I'm excited for Ben Simmons to just burst on the scene like tenfold from what he already has during this regular season. Rookie of the year campaign. He's going to come in the playoffs and be ready to go. And I'm pumped to watch it. And speaking of Ben Simmons, the the number one thing I'm going to be watching for is how are they going to defend him? Because all year we've been expecting coaches to exploit the fact that he can't shoot and you can just lay off him. But he's really spun that in the other direction where you're basically giving him a runway and yeah. he can just get a full head of steam and run at you and just and he just takes it right to the hole and he gets it hasn't affected his game yet. He's even been playing better as the season's gone on. So I'm curious to see how Spolstra is going to try and exploit that. Does it bother you at all or worry you at all that the Sixers' 16-game win streak has been largely against bad teams? No, because I called it a month ago that this was going to happen. That is and true. how am I going to be mad about something I knew was going to happen? That is uh, true. And what, like, what are you going to say? Every other team in their division had to play against these same, these same teams. So... They're just taking care of business. You can only beat the team that's put in front of you, right? Is that the that's what they always say in football? You only beat who's in your division. Facts. All right, cool. Fair enough. Uh, you got six and seven. I got six and six. We got to keep this thing moving. Uh, the last series is one that's going to be very interesting. On one hand, we have a really banged up Celtics team, but you still have Brad Stevens. You still have Tatum Brown, uh, Rozier, Al Horford, some other guys as well, but you're missing Kyrie, obviously. You're missing Marcus Smart for the at least, I think, is it the whole series or half the series? I know he's not ready to play yet. But then you have Giannis Atetokounmpo facing out the other side and the extremely underwhelming Milwaukee Bucks, even though I love Chris Middleton. Um, do the Celtics have some bust potential here? May they get knocked out in the first round? Uh. uh... Uh, no, I really don't see it happening. I can see it getting pushed to like six games. Damn it. I really wanted it, you to say yes. Cause I was going to go hard saying the Celtics won't. No, I mean, I don't, I'm not going to put my, my neck out there and just be straight up wrong. I've been preaching <laughs> this whole time. It's all about the system. You play the pieces that you have around you. Like the Sixers, Ben Simmons can't shoot. And Joel Embiid can't shoot from three as good as like other unicorns, like cat and KP and Jokic and those guys. But they fill in the cracks. Like we talked about, they got JJ, Bellinelli, Sharich, Roko. Like they why, got guys why, that they can talking, plug in. The Bucks have none of those people. Why are you talking so, about the Sixers again, bro? What is that? Why are you talking about the Sixers again? Because they're a model for championship basketball. Oh, oh, okay, okay. And this is championship season. So, <laughs> all right, go on. Time. And the, the Bucks just don't have that. Like, and, and their coach is completely lost, whatever his name is. I've heard his name probably 10 times between last night when we did the podcast and again right now and i definitely still don't remember his name pretty sure his last name starts with a p you it does it does joe what is it joe prunty come on dude joe prunty see i recognize it right away but it doesn't it doesn't matter that's also not his job so we can talk about it um (laughs) and and the celtics like i've heard people say brad stevens is worth 10 points i'm not gonna go that far i'll say like five but he, they clearly win the coaching battle. They clearly win the system battle. The Bucks have the better player. But I think Jason Tatum is just so poised for a rookie. I, I'm, I'm just so impressed with him. Al Horford is just such an anchor on defense. Juice is flying around there like a madman. T-Rose, I, tr- I, I, 
I know a lot of Celtics fans don't trust him. I trust And him. I'm sure they in watch Rozier, him more than I trust. me. In Rozier, I trust all day. I agree. I, I think Terry Rozier the third. I trust him. How can you not trust a name like that? Well, he went to Louisville, so. Yeah, but he's from Youngstown. Oh, a little Pennsylvania. So, blue collar. Is that Pennsylvania boy? No, Ohio, Youngstown in Ohio. Oh, is there? I don't even know what I'm talking about. Um, <laughs> what about what about uh, off the bench now, right? Because we're talking about the Celtics, and typically they're a team where it's like, oh, they're bench, man. They, they really know what they're doing. But are they going to be running, like, Abdel Nader out? Like, is that their backup now? Like, is Shane Larkin going to be getting a lot of minutes in the playoffs? Like, I know it worked in the regular season, but there might be some cause for concern there, no? I think uh, it'll be Shane Larkin over Abdel Nader, but I, I agree that's definitely a little con- a, a little concerning, yeah. But I just think the, the only thing that can kill them is if the, if you rebound – if you just get hammer the offensive glass against them, but I, I, I don't, I don't know. I can kind of just see the Celtics. They know they need to rebound as a team. It seems like all of them average like five a game. So I, I just believe in their system. I believe in the coach and I believe that these players play with poise. Like I, it's amazing. These rookies that come in now and they're ready to handle everything. So, so quickly, whether it's Donovan Mitchell, Bill Simmons, Ben Simmons, or Jason Tatum, like all, all these guys for, even though they're rookies, I, I like weirdly trust them a lot more than I probably should, or that history would tell us that I should at least. Absolutely. Um, I think there's gonna be a really fought series. I think it's going to be Celtics in seven. I think the Giannis Middleton duo is going to win three games. They're going to win three games because they're not going to be able to stop Giannis. And if Boston's offense isn't clicking, that's an, that's an easy win for the Bucks, but I do think over the course of seven, the Celtics figure out they really do slow down uh, the Bucks, and they're just going to be way more disciplined and ready to to figure out how to stop the other team and score on the other team, thanks to Brad Stevens. Uh, Celtics in seven. I'm going to go Celtics in six. Okay. I agree there are definitely some concerns about their shooting, or um, about their scoring, but they have three guys who shot 40% or better from three in Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, and Al Horford. So they, they definitely win that battle. All right, that's the Eastern Conference first round. Uh, let's not do like too deep of anything for the East or West because we got to get this thing moving. Uh, we don't want to spend too much time previewing just the first round. Maybe we'll, maybe we'll throw our picks on, you know, at NBA underscore Outsiders Twitter for the conference finals and the finals just to have them on record, you know, so when we're right and we, we don't have to like, you know, pretend like we said it or whatever we have proof but right now let's oh, keep yeah. doing the first round let's hop over to the western conference sports blog new york podcast b kennedy john lucas duffy we got the western conference and no better place to start than with the team that made it by the skin of their teeth knocking off the nuggets in the essential playoff playing game the minnesota timberwolves get the eight seed to take on the one seed mvp led houston rockets Duff, before we get to the Rockets, Timberwolves, and what we think that series might be, we did get to watch a really exciting game between the Nuggets and the Timberwolves, Jokic and Towns, and then I think the X Factor was Jimmy Butler. I feel like we're probably on the same page there. But what did you see in that game specifically with the Jokic versus Towns thing and those two 21, 22-year-old unicorns just going head-to-head? Uh, I think 
it's going to be a lot of fun to watch these guys for the next 10 years. And, you know, hopefully it's the battle of the unicorns in the Western conference Two two players with complete opposing styles of play. It's a lot of fun to watch uh, just the sheer athleticism and tenacity from towns and just the, the herky jerky old man game from Jokic. It's, 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 it's almost comical at times. It's really a lot of fun. Jokic has, like you said, herky jerky. I think on our fake episode that doesn't exist in the real world, you called him country strong, and I mm-hmm. love it because he doesn't specifically look like strong. He looks like he can be just kind of like a like he dough like, boy. Yeah, doughy. He looks doughy. He looks like he can be pushed around a little bit, uh, but he he really is strong. He plays super super physical. Um, do do you think that one of those two outplayed the other? Or would you say it was more of a wash? Uh, I'd say it, it was a wash. Not, I mean, if you look at the statistics, Jokic had like 35 points, 10 rebounds, three assists. And I think Towns is something like 22 and 12 or 22 and 14, 22 and 10, somewhere in that range. He got a 68th double-double, led the league. Uh, I just, but he was better on defense. So, you know, it, it kind of, you know, what Jokic doesn't have on defense, Towns does. Like as much flack as Towns gets for his lack of defensive ability, he's been a lot better this year. And now Jokic needs to take that next step desperately because the Nuggets really are struggling on defense. Just all year long. It's not a secret. Everyone has been harping on that, and that's the thing that probably kept them out of the playoffs. Oh, absolutely. And, and Towns has the physical traits to make up for – uh, focus shortcomings, like right, and mental shortcomings. Mm-hmm. And if mm-hmm. Jokic has a mental shortcoming at a moment, he doesn't have that quick step to make a, a, a recovery. yeah that recovery time. Exactly. So I feel that for sure. And they're really going to be two super fun bigs to watch grow in the Western Conference. And the Western Conference clearly is a little bit deeper than the Eastern Conference. So let's get to that Western Conference playoffs. First off, like I said before, the Rockets versus Timberwolves. I don't know if that's who the Rockets would have chosen. To be the eight seed, right? Like, I don't know if that's going to be the easiest out for a one to eight, but the Rockets shouldn't have many issues here, right? Right. I mean, it. I think it speaks to their to, to the Western Conference depth that I think this is who they would want to play. Like, you see this team without a hundred percent Jimmy Butler, and they're barely beating the Nuggets in overtime at home in a playoff scenario, and in the fourth quarter of that game was just so ugly that it, it kind of shows the lack of experience. Like, this was a playoff game, essentially. And if Jimmy Butler, he was only like 80% of what Jimmy Butler can be, and if he is not every bit of 100%, they have no chance in the series. They have no chance to even win a game. So I, I think there are other teams that are healthier and clicking better than what the Wolves are right now. As I, pretty much essentially everyone except for like the Spurs are really ugly to watch, but it's Popovich and it's the Spurs and it's just, he dominates, uh, you know, uh, he dominates D'Antoni mentally. So I think this is actually the best matchup for the Rockets. Oh, wow. I think it's like clean, like clean sweep best matchup. That's interesting. Cause I, I kind of don't feel that way. I think if the Rockets had their choice, they would much rather take their swing at the Pelicans. And I know Anthony Davis is fantastic i know drew holiday's been great and all that i just think when you put jimmy butler in a playoff series and now you get to see playoff carl anthony towns we don't know yet if carl anthony uh playoff playoff cat exists we'll call him playoff cat 
we know playoff Jimmy Butler exists. We know playoff Paul George exists and, and stuff like that, right? Mm-hmm. Do, does playoff Cat exist? Is his intensity, is his urgency going to boost up another level? I think it might, but I still think the ultimate X factor is Jimmy Butler here. So hear me out. I think the the way the Rockets sweep this series is if their three-point shooting is just too much, right? They're, they're just raining threes, Eric Gordon, Trevor Reza, James Harden, Chris Paul, the whole nine, right? They're all hitting some shots here and there. If Jimmy Butler puts on a performance, not on the offensive end, but on the defensive end, to just give James Harden fits, and he's not scoring an easy 30, and Jimmy Butler stays out of foul trouble, and he's not getting nine easy points from the free throw line, Jimmy Butler is one of the few people in the entire NBA who can probably do that to James Harden. And that's where I think the Timberwolves have their chance to steal a game or two. I think it it will be Jimmy Butler on James Harden, and the James Harden haters, the people who don't think he's the MVP, are going to be like, look, he's choking in the playoffs again. He's choking in the playoffs again, which doesn't necessarily mean that, but that does mean that there is an absolutely elite two-way player on the Timberwolves who can win a game or two by putting in one of those all-time performances. But it goes back to that point, is Jimmy Butler 100%? Because if he's not 100%, he's going to get cooked. Like, it's going to be barbecue chicken all day on Jimmy Butler if he does not have that 100% ability to defend him. Because basketball is completely different from other sports where – you know, like great defense can stifle great offense. They talk about, you know, defense wins championships and football and baseball, all this stuff. And basketball, it's the, I think it's the opposite because especially on an individual one-on-one matchup, because people can play amazing, perfect defense, but the players in the NBA are so damn good that they'll just make any shot from a ridiculous spot. And it could just be pure luck, but it's, it's worth the same points as a wide open layup. You know what I mean? So you could put in all that effort on the defensive end and it amounts to nothing. If James Harden is just on, you cannot stop him and there's nothing you can do about it. And in the realm of tough shot making superstars this season specifically, but realistically over the past like four seasons, James Harden is like the golden standard for that. So it's, it's solely possible for he's shooting like 45% on step back three. <laughs> he's better at on step, step back three. He's better at step back threes than like catch and shoots and stand still. It's an, it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> he's hit more, never seen anything like it. He's hit more step back threes than like most teams have. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Same with isolation points, by the way. Yep. It's, it's really insane. And Chris Paul, by the way, shout out him. Low key has had a fantastic season. The scoring that was going to be my other point. Like, let's say Jimmy Butler locks down James Harden. Who's guarding Chris Paul? There's you have a- two Hall of Fame point guards on the court for 48 minutes every game. Yeah. Oh my God. It, it could be insane. It could be insane. Let's talk in a, in a minute about the Rockets' untapped potential. We'll combine them with the Warriors. But there's not much more to talk about with this series because I think like 99.9% of the world is confident the Rockets are going to win the series. You said a sweep. Sweet. I'm saying I'm, sweet. I'm saying five. I'm gonna say five. I wouldn't be shocked if gentleman's six. Sweep. A gentleman's sweep, exactly. Um all right, moving on then. To the reason that we actually uh, you know, ruined the fake podcast that doesn't exist anymore because we talked about the wrong matchups. Ugh. The next matchup. We have the four five seed Utah Jazz versus the Oklahoma City Thunder. This is electric to me. This is a matchup here where it's system versus talent. It's Quinn Snyder and a defense and a rim protector with a few 
you know, plus offensive players, but a system. And then you have the Thunder, Russell Westbrook's freak athleticism, playoff Paul George, Steven Adams, God forbid playoff Melo makes an appearance. Talent. Duffy, in your breakdown of this series, what may prevail to you and how many games may it take? I think I think it's going seven games. And I think the only thing that would cut it short, like I, I don't know why, but all day I've just been thinking about I'm trying to talk myself into the Jazz winning this series because I really want them to win this series because I am not a believer in like the way Russell Westbrook plays and I hate Carmelo and I don't like the basketball they play. It's just not enjoyable to watch for me. And the Jazz are not that enjoyable to watch either like on a night to night basis, but they have a system. Like you see the logic to what they're doing. And I really appreciate that. I think this could all come down to just like one big play. Like if Gobert needs to dominate the rim, he needs to make Russell Westbrook hesitate slightly. Every time he goes to the rim, maybe knock him down in game one, some block a huge shot, something like that, get in his head, even the slightest bit, and just make him a jump shooter, and then the Jazz are in, like, a really good spot. But if Russell goes to the rim hard one time and he dunks on Gobert, like, I think that could change the series. Like, I think that takes him from a five-game series – or from a seven-game series down to, like, a five-game series if he gets in there game one and just puts him on a poster. I really think it can make that much of a difference in wow. terms of mental edge. Especially since so, the Thunder did sneak in to get home court on this series mm-hmm. too which, which is huge it, it's so weird because the jazz on the last day of the season were sitting in the three hole playing the trailblazers who were sitting in the four hole thunder could have slipped all the way down to like seven if they lost their last game but they they finished the deal they won the jazz lost to portland portland grabbed three okc bumped up to four and now all of a sudden boom complexion change right there uh a team like utah based off defense led in scoring by a rookie they can probably benefit from some home court advantage, whereas the Thunder are full of veterans and guys who've been around the block a little bit. They may not need it as much, but now that they have it, they may be able to capitalize. My next question and to you, Donovan Mitchell, up? like I just mentioned, is mm-hmm. the offensive scoring leader of the team. Granted, they run a system. Guys like Joe Ingles, Ricky Rubio, even Gobert and Derek Favors really sincerely play an important role in unlocking that offense. But their scorer, their go-to guy, is a rookie. Do we think that causes a problem under the bright lights against three Hall of Famers? What is Donovan Mitchell's performance going to look like to you? I think I think he'll look composed to start with. I think he's going to, you know, he's not going to let the moment get to him if – Russell Westbrook's guarding him. He'll be okay unless we start to see, like, psycho Russell Westbrook, who just just pissed off at Donovan Mitchell because he's just on the other side of the court, like, just goes complete psycho on him. Which he might be. (laughs) But in crunch time, I'm worried that Paul George is going to guard him. And playoff Paul George is definitely a thing. Was definitely giving LeBron a run for his money back before he had that uh, crazy leg injury when those Pacers – Heat and those Eastern Conference Finals matchups that were a lot of fun that people seem to forget about. Shout out Roy Hibbert. Shout out Roy Hibbert. No homo. Shout out Parks. And uh, <laughs> it, I, I just, he's a rookie in the playoffs. So that's a detriment in itself, just historically. And, but, he, but he's shown nothing but poise in that everything you hear about this guy is a great dude, very level headed, 
loves basketball, very professional about everything. And I, I do, I want him to do well, but I just think it's tough, man. Like you said, you're going up against three hall of famers. You got so much pressure on you and you don't have home court advantage. I think that's so huge. Like you brought it up and it cannot be overstated because people forget like the jazz with Darren Williams and Carlos Boozer, like that place was rocking. That place used to be rocking when they were good. It was a lot of fun. Like I know, you know, cause that's, that's your team. That's your real team. That's you're not actually a Knicks fan. You're you're just, that's your cover. (laughs) Uh, My jazz, the jazz, just like your sons, the sons. Absolutely. Oh, and man. OKC is is another place like that where they just go crazy. They're just screaming for forty eight straight minutes. It's it it it's gonna be jarring to say the least. Um, also, they don't sit down in Oklahoma City until the home team makes a bucket, which is just like kind of fun, you know. Like you just have to stand until they make a bucket. But usually, if they hit a big bucket early, they just keep standing until they feel like sitting. And it can really swing momentum early. Another guy I want to mention though on the side of Utah, a guy who came back. On the low, like, times two. And I don't even know if most NBA fans remember this guy exists. I don't know if they knew he was hurt all year. I don't know if they know he came back. But Dante Exum has made his return to the Utah Jazz rotation. A guy who, believe it or not, I know the Golden State Warriors ran through the playoffs last year. He played valuable minutes for the Jazz against the Warriors in the playoffs last year. Had a really freak, like, like bad injury. And was hurt again. Missed basically the entire season. Now he's back. He's still super athletic. He gets to the rim. He's such a disruptor defensively. For me, Dante Exum is an X-factor who can take a little bit of pressure offensively off of Ricky and Donovan Mitchell, and defensively is just another guy to throw at Russ who can match his athleticism, who can match his size, and he could be a low-key X-factor for the Jazz in this series. Dante Exum, capital X. Shout out. Shout out to the all season Brett Brown again. <laughs> Dude, I, I mean, I definitely agree with that. You look at the four guys in the core of their defense, uh, Gobert, Rubio, Mitchell, Exum, and then you throw in Crowder. Joe like, Ingles? He's, on, we've bro. shown he could be a good system guy. And Joe Ingles. Uh, defensively. Is Joe Ingles a good defense? Dude, defensive hell player? yeah, bro. Joe Ingles gives people fits. Does he really? How? Don't, don't disrespect the name again. He may look like a gym teacher. He may look like a soccer dad. Man is 6'7 or 6'8. He moves kind of slow, but he gets the job done and he shoots 45% from three. Yeah, I don't know he puts it up, but like I didn't know he could lock down. Lock down. You'll see. Yeah, all right. You say so. <laughs> yeah, I, I got a ride for my boys, yeah. I feel that, man. He does, what, he, so what you got, Pete? What are you thinking? He does play games, though. He does play games. I, this is like the hardest matchup for me to pick because I'm not a Thunder fan. I'm not specifically a Russell Westbrook fan, but I've, I've really rooted for him this year. I've rooted for Paul George and Mello and the Thunder, Steven Adams, all that. But the Jazz are my guys, too. I think we got mm-hmm. a deep series. I think we got a deep, deep series on our hands. We're going to see three different Thunder teams. We're going to see dominant Thunder. They're going to win a game by 25. They're also going to lose a game by 25. <laughs> and then they're going to grit and grind, and they're going to win the freaking series in seven games. And Paul George is going to have a phenomenal series. Damn, you're going against your boys? I have to, man. I am so I feel so bad about it. Like It's a win-win for me because if I'm right, I'm right. And if I'm wrong, my jazz is the jazz. That's what I got to say. Man, P, you're a punk, bro. I thought you were a ride <laughs> or die. I'm going with the jazz in seven games, baby. Oh, my God. Damn you. Give me that. Damn you. You brought it in. You said Dante Exum. You said X Factor. I said this game, this is going seven games no matter what. 
you throw in that defensive lineup of death, the running running in the middle of the game. I could see them pulling the Thunder out of the groove in a in a pressure game seven situation where Melo's lost. He doesn't know what to do because he's a choke artist and he Ooh, sucks. Ouch. And he's just a complete zero on the court. So now oh. Russell's pressing. He's oh. putting the ball too much. He shoots 10 for 30. And then they just don't shoot their way out of a paper bag. And then they just lose that game. They The Jazz force them into these errors and bad shots and they just steal it. They steal game seven on the road. What are the odds Rudy Gobert clotheslines Russell Westbrook at least once? I hope a hundred percent. I think I seriously think and I'm not even saying it to be a dick. Like I don't think Russell Westbrook is a bad person. Like I know I throw shade on him as a basketball player, but I like I compartmentalize. We talked about that. I, I just I think that is important for the mental edge of the series to kind of set the tone. I know Gobert is not afraid of anyone in this league, but him and Steven Adams, like I cannot wait for that matchup too. Like those dudes are gonna be banging because neither one of them is going to take any shit from the other. It's going to be, I think this is going to be, it could get chippy. This could be a real chippy series. This is, this is going to be my favorite West coast round one matchup. I cannot freaking wait, man. I am so excited. All right. You got freaking jazz in seven. I got Oklahoma city in, in seven. So we we think it's going to be deep. We think it's going deep. Uh, That one's on Sunday, by the way, just FYI, because that one's appointment television. It's on TNT. Right after you eat Sunday dinner on Sunday, have your sausage and peppers, have your meatballs, turn on the Jazz Thunder, and have yourself a good Sunday. Uh, <laughs> but moving on to a game that's going to be on Saturday, the 3-6 matchup. Home court goes to Portland, and the New Orleans Pelicans, led by Anthony Davis, Drew Holiday, and hold up, playoff Rajon Rondo as the sixth seed. The Portland Trailblazers have been a weird team, Duff. You know, halfway through the season, people were, like, really curious what's going on with them. It's like, wow, they're they're kind of winning. They're doing a good job, but they're winning on defense, and their offense is very average. Like, what the hell is that about? Well, it kind of evened out, and Damian Lillard went berserk for a couple weeks, and their offense was good again. Defense was still good. But now they got Anthony Davis and a team that has surprised people with their competitiveness this season. What do you think about playoff Anthony Davis versus playoff Dame and what's going to go down in the series? I'm thinking this 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 like you got Anthony Davis and he's gonna get you like playoff. You talk about playoff Paul George, playoff Anthony Davis. I think is a real thing because we pe- don't know. People that, forget he got swept out that series, but that was against the eventual champion Golden State Warriors, and he was the eighth seed. He was doing literally everything by himself. This is a different matchup now, and he's gonna get his 35 and 15 with three blocks and two steals and two assists. Like he's gonna be filling up the stat sheet on offense. And I think on the defensive end, it's a tough matchup for Dame and CJ because Drew Holiday, Rajon Rondo, you saw Rajon, he picked Kevin Durant clean for to, in like a big game for seeding purposes. That was a huge steal. I think that gets them the round one win. Round one win at home, game six against the Blazers. I think they still won of the first two on the road. And then they come back, they take care of business, at home, and then they lose, and they come back and close it out. Game six. I, I'm not. I know Portland has a really good home crowd, but it doesn't really matter against the Pelicans because their fans don't actually go to the games, and no one cares. So <laughs> pretty much every game, home or away, is a road game for them because no one's really cheering for them, and they never have the crowd on their side because there is no crowd. You can go see Anthony Davis in New Orleans during the regular season for like eight dollars. 
every night. I'm glad you brought that up. I was just about to say, I have a friend who goes to LSU, uh, and he said that he usually pays more for his Uber than his ticket to the game. It's crazy, dude. And, and that makes me I do remember, We were looking those up because we were talking about how expensive like the Knicks tickets were one time. You could go see a Hall of Fame center play every single night for less than $10. You know what you can get for $10 at Madison Square Garden? Nothing. Literally nothing. Literally <laughs> <laughs> nothing. You can't get chicken tenders, bro. You can't get a freaking bottle of water out there. Anyway, before I get turned on the wrong subject, um, I am shocked by your statement here. I cannot believe you just picked the New Orleans Pelicans. I mean, I get it. I get why you said it. And you know what? You know what I have to remind myself of? Last season, Jimmy Butler's Bulls and also Rajon Rondo's Bulls, apparently, in the playoffs. They had Boston against the freaking wall. Rajon Rondo got hurt. The entire series just changed. The Celtics had more life. They had more energy. Bulls lost an edge. Is there a chance Rajon Rondo does the same thing for the Pelicans? Yes. But this is freaking Dame time, bro. It's Dame time. Damian Lillard has been on a mission this season. He puts himself in the own his own disrespected category. Like he doesn't get there on his own. He puts himself in the disrespected category. But whatever freaking works to motivate you, my man. Dame Lillard wants this hard. CJ McCollum is going to be the the third best player on the floor, and two out of three ain't bad. I know Anthony Davis is amazing. Give me Dame. Give me CJ. I think they take it in five, but I think there's going to be a lot of close games in this series. I just think it's such a rough matchup for them. Like, like Drew Holiday nerd. has to have a series, and so does Rondo. Like, they need think about Drew Holiday and Rayshon Rondo. They have to stop CJ and Dame. Like, that's who has to do it, and then they have to also contribute on offense. So Anthony Davis doesn't have to score seventy-five points. Yeah, but I'm not terribly concerned about Lillard and McCollum's defense. No, no, no. Or Nurkic. Like, so so what What are you saying? Rondo and Drew Hall, they're going like, to score? Yeah, from a, from a Pelicans perspective, I'm not too concerned that they're going to be putting on so much pressure. Like, Rondo is not going to be turning the ball over. He's going to be out there pretty much doing whatever he wants, using those long arms to keep the ball away and just finding guys all over the court. He's going to be weaving out like a – he just sees angles that other people don't see. And I'm not – I don't think – he looks at the game the way Lillard looks at it. I think there's a mental edge there for Rondo. And Drew Holiday, I, I don't know. I, I'm just not worried about CJ McCollum guarding him. Or if it's the other way around, I'm not worried about that. those matchups. Like it, It's going to be a lot of hard work for those two guys on both ends of the floor. I, I guess. I guess. I think it's going to be a lot of work, though. I kind of actually know I don't guess. I disagree. I disagree. Rondo and Drew Holiday have... They have their freaking work cut out for them, man. I know Drew Holiday's been making a sincere push to be on an all-defensive team. I've seen a lot of writers bring his name up, and I don't have enough of an opinion that I've you know watched so closely on Drew Holiday this year, so I'm not going to say anything. But if that's the case, and he, and he expects to be on one of these all-defensive teams, now it's your time to show it. And he's playing against, in my opinion, like a top three-point guard in the league, like a top three, four-point guard in the league, a guy who's going to be in the top five MVP voting. And, yeah, Anthony Davis is also there. But they're not guarding each other. And when it comes down to it, I'm taking the guy who can put threes from all over the court, step back, pull up, the whole nine, and also get to the rim when he wants. 
I, I think it's Dame time. I think it's Dame time. So who do you think? Is, are you calling the X Factor the guards just because you know what Anthony Davis is going to bring to the table? Yes. And it, I think the X Factor is also just the shooters on either side. Can, whether I, call, it's can I call you out actually like, real quick? What's up? Uh, you've been preaching, man. You've been preaching on the whole fake episode and now this episode, the real one, that you're about systems and coaching. And how are you going against Terry Stotts then? That's no, that's an excellent point, Alvin Gentry. I am absolutely not a believer in him. Neither are his former players. It's a little insider outsider information. I have oh. a conversation with a former player from the Pelicans, actually throwing a lot of shade to Alvin Gentry. Not, not really. I mean, no, no, no. He, I was kind of just saying things, and he was kind of not disagreeing, not really <laughs> adding much to the conversation, but kind of just let me talk myself out and a nod here or there. Count it. But uh, it, it kind of just conf- it, I mean, he wasn't really giving me extra information. Kind of just confirmed a lot of beliefs that people had. And I think it's weird how people are just, this is a conversation for another time. I'm sorry. I digress. <laughs> Alvin Gentry, old school coach, old heads don't work as coaches. Right old now. heads don't work. Fuck you tips. Um, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm just, but you're Anthony still- Davis is just so fucking good. And I, be- it's not their offense. It's just the defensive matchups. Like if they pressure them off the three point line and they force him to attack, okay, Anthony Davis is sitting right there, ready to alter your shot or swat it into twelfth row, or they're going to pull up mid range jumpers, which we've the whole league has established is the most inefficient shot in basketball. So unless you're Chris Paul, I just apparently I can. Would you say except for Chris Paul? Yeah, except for Chris Paul, apparently. Yeah, but you know what? He's not in this series. So facts. I just think from a matchup perspective. I understand what you're saying, like the system, you're 100% right. Just, I can see it going where, like, I could see Rondo just pissing off Lillard or McCollum and just getting under their skin, just doing that Rondo thing where he just, what he does to everyone, like, he's so annoying. Like, you look at him and you're just like, oh my God, I hate that guy. And even if he's on your team, you're like, man, I can't stand him, but I'm really (laughs) glad I'm not playing against him. It's true. Like, he's going to... There's going to be a handful of plays where CJ and Dame like do a specific move and Rondo is just there. Like he does it before them. And you're going to be like, "Holy, that's why this guy's good." Like, "Oh, that's mm-hmm. that's when he was good. He's not that mm-hmm. big of a jerk." <laughs> like that's what's going to happen. Uh man, th- this is probably a series intrigue number 2. And with your prediction there, man, it's right next to that Jazz Thunder series as super super interesting cuz I was kind of thinking you were going to go to Portland. I thought we were both going to go Portland. I'm glad you didn't. And I really hope that's a good one as well. Those are those are really top notch players. We get to see compete at the highest level. Um, These are without a doubt the two best series in the West. I mean, yeah, I would just like we're gonna move on now. We're gonna move on to the other series, the Warriors and the Spurs. I'm gonna tell you exactly how this is gonna go. War the Warriors people will never actually be worried, or they'll just pretend to be worried. But the Spurs are gonna win at least one, and I think two games, and this is gonna go six games long. But Steph Curry's going to miss a game or two, maybe half the series, maybe the whole series. I don't know. But I have full faith in the Warriors to win the series. But I also have full faith in the Spurs to do Spurs things and just to be annoying and to put in really good quality games where they win to. And like I said, like the Thunder, they're going to get blown out, I think, a handful of times. But they're going to also sneak in theirs. I think there's a series we look back on and don't give a crap about. Kawhi's not playing. It's not going to actually matter. But for some reason, the Spurs will win two games. Totally unscientific take, but that's just how I feel. (laughs) Just in my bones, I can feel it. Yeah, Uh, exactly. 
No, I see what you're saying. Pop usually worth at least one win in any playoff series. Right, like kind of like we're not going to care about it, but it's going to happen. <laughs> That's how. Yeah, it yeah. It's kind of like Stevens. We said before, like he people say he's worth ten points. I think that's a lot, uh, but maybe like five, and that can swing a game. Absolutely. Um, Spurs pop the same way, but they're just so overmatched talent wise. Like, what 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 are they going to do against the lineup of death? Where you got well, it doesn't exist. Kevin currently. Durant, Andre Iguodala, Draymond, Clay. And then your boy, Quinn Cook. Like, what do you do about <laughs> Quinn Cook? Who's guarding Quinn Cook? God forbid, you know, Patrick McCall comes in. Then what? Then then now you're really fucked. <laughs> Is there some, some real reason to be concerned about the Warriors, though, in general? Uh, Not in round one. Not in round one. All right. So, um, good. I'm glad you said that. Let's flip this then. So, yeah. you know, the Spurs are going to compete. I think the Timberwolves are going to compete as well, but nobody in their right mind is actually betting on the Rockets or the Warriors to get knocked out in round one. It's completely unrealistic. If it happens, like, if either of those teams, like, get knocked out in round one, I'll do an entire episode of the podcast with a sock in my mouth. You know, like, it's not, <laughs> not going to happen. You can hold me to that on an hour and nine minutes into this episode. Um, so let's talk about the Rockets and the Warriors. From a vulnerability standpoint, which team is more vulnerable to go down in the Western Conference playoffs. So from a vulnerability standpoint, you're talking about injuries and who's playing the best at the right time. And we talk about the Warriors from a mental state. I don't know if they care. And they've been called out by their coach, Steve Kerr, and Kevin Durant's like, yeah, of course we care, blah, blah, blah. And if you really care, you like you're you're gonna do your best to win games. If you don't really care, like I, I don't I'm not going to put that against you because it's regular season. Seedings are what they are. But if you lose a game by 20, like, who cares? But if you get blown up by 40, like, that's a little extra. That's a little something extra on top of it. And they miss Steph. And it's really important that they have him on the court. He is the most important player on that team. Kevin Durant is a better player. Like, technically, he can score in more ways. He's seven foot tall. He does more on the defensive end. And he's... He has a certain gravity to him, but Steph is like his own planet, the way he pulls defenses and opens up lanes for his teammates, even if he's not shooting well. He's so important to that offense. And the Rockets have an injury of their own. Luka Mbamute has been having a great season, have completely transformed his career in Houston. He's a very different player. People see him as a real key to the Rockets' success on the defensive end. He's been shooting great on the offensive end, and he's he's made like big strides in his game. He's become a really quality cutter in the like people don't think about that, but Clay Thompson also a great cutter. It, it's just an interesting part of the game that it's tough to measure, but if you watch it, you'll you'll see it. And I think the Warriors are actually more vulnerable because they don't have that mental edge of we need to prove ourselves now, and the Rockets do. And the Rockets have an injury in Luka Mbamute, who's a very important defender. But the Warriors are missing the most important player on their team in Steph Curry, who is a two-time MVP, obviously one of the best point guards in the league, if not the best. So from a vulnerability standpoint, I got to say the Warriors. I, I, I tend to agree, and it's all because of Steph Curry. It's what it's all about. It's all about him right now. And when when he originally got hurt, a lot of people were saying that. Which time? 
Well, when he got hurt, where he was going to be out for possible playoff times. Like when he mm-hmm. got hurt and then came back and got hurt again. Like the first mm-hmm. before the first time he got hurt. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So he he went out and a lot of these talking heads on whatever ESPN, Fox, all that crap. They all start saying even podcasts, but we probably said it on here. Honestly, everyone <laughs> starts going, "Oh, you know, Kevin Durant is is this and that." But Steph Curry's the guy that that makes that team move, and and there was some pushback, but I think a lot of people were like, "Damn, yeah, that that's probably actually pretty fair. Like that makes sense. Let's see what happens." And they were like seven and nine without Steph Curry, and they got blown out, like you said. And there is there is truly something in the NBA and across all professional sports that when you make multiple finals runs in a row, God forbid four finals runs in a row or three finals runs in a row, what they're trying to do is four now. It doesn't get easier. It gets harder. There's a reason that people don't make four peats. There's a reason that after four years, the heat split up. There's a reason that it was the first time in history the same team played each other back to back to back NBA finals in the Warriors and the Cavs. The Warriors, whether they're, they feel healthy or not, outside of Steph, there is zero chance that their mental edge is the same as it was, like you said. They're not as hungry. It's like almost physically impossible. There's a, a, a group of people in the history of the NBA who have always had the same physical hunger, and it's like Michael freaking Jordan, Bill Russell, Kobe Bryant, and LeBron. Like, that's it. Like, that mental edge goes away whether people like it or not, and I think that's why the Warriors are more vulnerable that being said, they still may just be more talented if Steph Curry comes back. So I think it's really a close call. But from a vulnerability standpoint where you just might have that slip up, you might just make that lackluster performance in the wrong moment, that can be the Warriors. But they've also proven it. And the Rockets haven't really proven shit. And James Harden gets a lot of crap for his lack of clutch in the playoffs. Is it all warranted? Some of it is for sure, but it's not all. But at this point, it doesn't freaking matter because when he wins MVP later in the year, it will not feel very good if he gets booted out before he even gets a chance to play the Warriors. That would be a bad look for James Harden. The memes would be insane. So James Harden and the Rockets and Chris Paul too, man. It's going to come up. The memes, both of them. They've never done it in the playoffs. Harden's been to a finals with KD and Russ. He's been to a Western Conference finals by himself after beating Chris Paul. They're together. I think they have the right mindset. I think they have the head on the shoulders. But with their heavy ISO game, their vulnerability comes from getting cold and not being as good as the Warriors. But I think the Warriors' vulnerability comes from Steph Curry's health and a lack of a mental edge that they don't have, they physically can't have anymore. And even that series where he made it to the Eastern Conference Finals over the Clippers, that was because of uh, Josh Smith and Corey Brewer. Which is an like, insane sentence to say out loud, right? That now. I can't believe <laughs> people forget. That was how long was that? Like two two years ago? That was that was twenty fifteen, correct? Or is that twenty sixteen? Three years ago? Oh, it was the fifteen sixteen season? I guess I don't know something like that. That was either two or three years nah, ago, and was, now it, it, was, it feels like. That was 10 years ago. It was the the league is ago. so different now. And Josh Smith isn't even in it anymore. It was three years ago because it was Steph Curry's first MVP season. Okay. Yes. Like 95% sure. Don't fact check me. I, th- I, think, I think you're right. Yeah. That's that's an insane. We just dropped. Shout out Josh Smith, man. <laughs> that's so funny. 
Oh, my gosh. All right, man. We went through a lot of stuff here about the Eastern Conference playoffs, the Western Conference playoffs. Let's just do this simple task here. We're not going to pick finals champions and stuff like that. We're not going to pick who's going to the finals. Just because, you know, we have time to do that, and it's late already. We don't have time to make an, a good argument. So let's just t- let's No, just no. Let's just, let's just pick. Let's, let's just, just pick them. Let's just pick who's going to be in the conference finals from both ends, okay? Come on, we got to get our finals picks now. Oh, you want to pick the finals pick? All right, fine. Let's just do it. Let's just do Come it. Come on. We'll do it live. We'll do it live. We'll do it live. We'll do it live. All right. We'll we'll adjust accordingly after the yeah. Rockets get reverse swept or some <laughs> bullshit. <laughs> Jimmy Butler to the finals. Um, all right, let's start off in the Eastern Conference. Swing back over there. Who are your Eastern Conference finalists and who prevails? Eastern Conference finals are going to be the Cavs take care of business round one. They mentally and physically dominate the Raptors in round two. They get to the conference finals. On the bottom side of the bracket, Sixers, they're going to win seven games against the Heat. Then the Celtics take care of against the Bucks. Banged up Celtics cannot get past the Sixers. Sixers move on. And that's going to be a great rivalry to come for many years. Like, the Celtics team is not even close to what it should be. Like, for years to come, this is going to be a great rivalry. I hope. Fingers crossed. As long as everyone stays healthy. The, um, them, so you got the Cavs, Knicks, Sixers right? finals, or Eastern Conference finals. It's going to be the Celtics, Sixers, and Knicks, just rivals for years to come, right? Just the the Nets, throw them in there. They're just <laughs> yeah. going to dominate. Uh, uh, sorry to cut you off. Go on. Yeah. Um, so you got Cavs, Sixers, and the Eastern Conference finals. I think this is a really bad matchup for the Cavs. I think that. LeBron is going to be LeBron, but the team around him, I don't believe in them. Even if they win a couple series under their belt, they're just not a good team. Like they, they don't fill in the cracks. And I keep harping back to which team, the Sixers, they have a great supporting cast, bunch of shooters flying around. And I think to a certain extent, basketball has been broken down to a math equation, sort of like how baseball was with the whole money ball thing. And you need to shoot threes and you need to have consistent shooting. And I think the Sixers have the better shooting. I think they have the second and third best players on the court after LeBron James. So overall talent, I think they have more. And I think it's a terrible matchup for the Cavs because they can throw so many guys, whether it's Simmons, Rocco, Saric, uh, like whoever against LeBron. himself that he doesn't want to play LeBron, so I don't know about that, man. What did he say? Sarge said it himself. He doesn't want to play LeBron. He said he's the only person he's scared well, of. Well, he better man it the fuck up because he's going to have to. <laughs> um, so I'm taking the Sixers. I'm taking the Sixers in that series. I'm taking them in seven. You're a madman. You're a madman, and I love it. All right, so I agree. Cavs, Trust the process. Cavs make it, beat the Raptors, the baby dinosaurs, yada, yada, yada. Uh, I think the Sixers are great. I think they're going to be super, super fun. And you know what else I think is going to happen? The Boston Celtics, the freaking Boston freaking Celtics are going to do Brad Stevens, well freaking coached, good performances mixed in from Brown, Tatum, and Terry Rogier with a little sprinkle of Al Horford. I think the Celtics make it to the conference finals, and that's kind of boring because I don't think they're even a competition for the Cavs. God. And you know what that They would get they, – they would – you know no, what, they wouldn't get swept. You know but... why that also sucks? Because that means the Cavs are my pick for the finals. Good. And I don't like that at all, but it's true. They're going to make it. They're going to make it, man. So I have, a, I have a question for you. I just thought of this. But so everyone, like, you know, Steve Kerr and Brad Stevens and Popovich, they all hide their best lineups during the regular season, the lineup of death sort of thing. 
Do you think the Sixers, Brett Brown, you think he's got something rolled up his sleeve? I feel like he's got oh, something wait, up his sleeve. Up. I feel like hold there's up. something to this team we hold haven't up. seen yet. There's too many combinations of players. They have I got too much solid depth. I got something for you. What you got? You know who the real X Factor is? Markel Fultz. Markel Fultz, baby. Mm-hmm. Markel Fultz coming out hot. Man's played like 12 games in his career. Doesn't matter. He's having moments in these playoffs, man. He's going to have some moments. My man glides across the court. He has He's vision. so smooth. He has the spin. He has the freaking step back Jimbo. How you doing? Has he pull up Jimbo? Has he pull up Jimbo? There you go. <laughs> Whatever I said. Um, he has it. Markel Fultz going to have some moments. If I wasn't like just committing to my Celtics winning, uh, I'm saying Markel Fultz is the X factor, and he helps them win a game or two to get them to the conference finals. But whatever. God, I really hope they just unleash, like unleash him from three, and he just starts raining down. He was, it was just, just a long con the whole time. He was just messing with everybody. <laughs> Did you imagine if he just starts pulling? That'd be insane. And he just hits. Ugh. He has no hitch, nothing. Um, all right, Western Conference. What do we got going on here? Uh, it's going to be a smooth walk for the Rockets and the Warriors right to the Conference Finals. Sheesh. Okay. Because you know what, now, Portland, I, this is Port- the finals. This is the East Western Conference Finals. We deserve. We do. We totally deserve it. And also, Portland, New Orleans, and then Utah and, and OKC are probably going to beat the shit out of each other. Yeah, they're going to be so bloody after these. They're going to be beaten down like it's going to be such a grind in the first round for them. And then they got to go up. Like, what do they have next? Oh, a couple of the greatest teams of all time like <laughs> yeah exactly sucks man way to way to really grind it out and get into the playoffs i mean it's like playoffs are cool and it's a benchmark and if you're you know anyone in the playoffs you should be proud of yourselves except the wolves and but it but it really just doesn't matter because the warriors and rockets are going to beat whoever the warriors don't need steph curry to win the second round i don't think um so even if he comes back halfway through I think they'll be okay. But then the Western Conference Finals, I'm going to I'm gonna say Steph Curry comes back. And even if he's not 100%, he's still that gravitational force that's pulling defenses and opening up lanes that everyone talks about. And hard, and they, the Warriors and Steph Curry just fucking own Chris Paul. I don't care how good they look in the first two rounds. They have that mental edge. I'm taking the Warriors in seven. No, six. Wow. Six games. Six games, Warriors. I like it. Um, I don't know if I'm doing this because I'm a contrarian right now. I don't know if I'm doing this because we're doing it so freaking live and we didn't plan this end of the podcast. Um, the Rockets are going to beat the Golden State Warriors in the Western Conference Finals this year. And here's why. James Harden, Chris Paul, Clint Capella, they're a great story. They're awesome. They're like the all-stars of the team. They're fantastic. Well, you know what? The Golden State Warriors have a bunch of guys like that. They have Draymond Green, Kevin Durant, Clay Thompson, and hopefully a healthy Steph Curry so we can watch amazing basketball. What the Warriors don't have, like they had in year one, two, three, is a really good supporting cast and a very good bench. And what do the Houston Rockets have? Like you mentioned before, they have all of these wing shooting guard types who can just shoot from all over the court, who can defend their asses off, and who can get to the rim on occasion. And here are the big four for them. Eric Gordon, Trevor Ariza, P.J. Tucker, 
and Luke Richard and Bamute. A mixture of those four guys with their defensive grit. Eric Gordon is a actual like super quality offensive player getting to the rim, getting to the free throw He's line, a starter masquerading as a six man. Literally, he's a starter. He plays starter minutes. He gets starters. He gets more than most starter shots. He's really good. He is going to be super important for them. And that mix of four can defend everybody from Steph to Clay to Draymond to maybe a little bit of Kevin Durant. And that is just super versatile. Guys who know what to do. They're going to freaking pull a ton of threes. Those are my X factors because I think James Harden, Chris Paul, Clint Capella can you can see them washing out against like against Steph, Clay, Kevin Durant, etc. So I'm going I'm going with the more talented, the deeper roster, the Houston Rockets. I've been trying to talk them up for my own good and for your own good all season long that they're legit contenders and they are legit contenders. I'm proclaiming it now. Seven games, Houston Rockets go to the finals. Wow. I don't think that's a ridiculous take at all, honestly. The Rockets have proven to have the best season, the best team clicking in the regular season. I'm really just banking on the fact that the playoffs are a different animal, and with a healthy Steph Curry, I think that makes all the difference. I mean, I can't say I disagree with you that much. So what do you got What do you got in your finals then? So you got Rockets-Cavs. What are you thinking? Who's winning how many games? Oh, man, I'm saying this with conviction, and I'm saying it like I mean it. I just don't know how much I actually mean it. But let's go, Rockets. James Harden gets his first ring. Put him in the rafters. First ballot, Hall of Fame. James Harden, MVP, champion. All the haters can go cry in a ditch. How many games? Drop the mic. Four, four games. Sweep. No, I'm kidding. Wow. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, we got six. We got a sixer. You got a sixer? Okay. So, all right. I got... Warriors and Sixers of mine. I'm going five games, Warriors. Yeah, Sixers, Sixers, Sixers aren't ready. Chance, Simmons still can't shoot. And like I talked about, like at a certain point, this, you know, the game of basketball now is, is, is sort of, it's to a certain extent, it's just a math equation. It's the, the, the parts, you know, add up to what you need to a win. Let me, I even think, like, you're giving LeBron a lot of credit in playing against the, the Rockets. I honestly think if the Rockets, Cavs, and they beat the Warriors, like, I'm going clean sweep Rockets on that. <laughs> Maybe five. Against the Cavs, for well, real. Whatever, though. Oh, I have, a, I have something to throw at you real quick before we say goodbye. What's up? Uh, what are the odds that if the Sixers and Warriors face off in the, in the finals that, A, literally nobody on the Warriors can guard Joel Embiid, and, B, Draymond Green and, ben, and uh, Kevin Durant have to guard Ben Simmons. And Ben Simmons might be the perfect combo of like much faster and longer than Draymond Green and much stronger than Kevin Durant. Huh. Hmm. Huh. Hmm. Hmm. Ben uh, Simmons, MVP of the NBA Finals in his rookie season? <laughs> that would be the most ridiculous thing now, you know what, Since, you like, know what the, the 1977 Trailblazers. You know what that would actually be the most ridiculous thing is? Magic Johnson. Ooh, true. But that was different. That was, like, he was not the guy on that team. That was because Kareem got hurt. Well, and he, he had to step up. I mean, hey, all's well that ends well. Am I right? No, that's a good point. And people are going to make a ton. They already make a ton of comparisons about them. But people would definitely draw parallels to that situation. It's just, it, But it's definitely different. It's definitely different. There are some similarities, but it's, it's definitely different. That would be that would be something else, man. I'll tell you what, that would be that something would be else. 
insanity. Oh my goodness. Yo, Duff, this has been a good ass episode. We went long. We 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 were gonna do this thing short. Who the hell were we kidding, bro? Bro, it's play it's playoff previews, man. What do you want from us? That's it. If you're still here, you're listening to the Sports Blog New York podcast with Pete Kennedy and John Lucas Duffy. Thank you like a million for tuning in. Because seriously, if you're if you listen to this thing for a minute and uh, hour and twenty eight minutes, shout out you. That means you're a basketball junkie like us, or you just think we're cool, and that's pretty unlikely. But just that's, <laughs> just, just thank you for tuning in. It means a ton to us. Uh, we love this stuff, and we we damn look forward to this playoffs. Yeah, thanks everyone for sticking around for this whole season and. We really appreciate you guys supporting and like, we really mean it. Hit us up on Twitter. Let us know what you think. Give us your predictions. We want to talk about it. We want to argue about it. This is the time when everything in your life stops and you just want to watch basketball every single night and your friends and your family are like, Hey, where'd he go? We don't know. We think he died. Oh, it's June 24th and you're texting everyone now. It's like, yeah, I don't know what to do in my life. I need to learn how to talk to people again. I've just been staring at basketball. <laughs> for uh two straight months help me <laughs> we need to make a hotline you know people if you if you're addicted to basketball call the outsiders we know what to do aka we just make you watch more basketball uh that's been aka nba classics just saying <laughs> man that's been the sports blog new york podcast thank you guys p kennedy john lucas duffy shout out you have a good one